Welcome back to. <laughs> keep this in. I'm leaving this in. I'm leaving this in. Oh my gosh. I Welcome was... to our musical intro. We're trying this out. It's new this week. I was really trying to do something and it just like didn't come out. Um, but welcome back, you guys. Uh, welcome back to Imposter. It's been a week. It's only Tuesday. <laughs> You're singing, uh, crazy uh, co-hosts. Um, we're back with another episode with uh, Lupe Gonzalez, who we work with at Headspace, um, talking about leading with compassion and vulnerability and just like being yourself at work and how, uh, and kind of how she leads her team, making her team feel super safe to come to her with things. Um, but also just being a super strong leader in her own right. Um, and using those soft skills, you know, absolutely. This was such a great convo. We go super deep on talking about what it means to be emotional at work versus what it means to be vulnerable. And of course you will hear uh, yet another plug for us trying to get a viral LinkedIn post. So you haven't yet during this episode, after this episode, pop on LinkedIn and, you know, help us go viral. I think we have a couple posts up there right now. We'll take either. Yeah. And speaking of LinkedIn posts, cause I guess that's all I do nowadays. Um, I bring this up in the episode, but it's not for a while. So I'll give you a little sneak peek. Um, I just saw my favorite post on LinkedIn because because there can be some creeps on LinkedIn for sure. Like it's not a dating app, guys. Like it's really not. Um, and um, I saw this post that was written by a man and it said, <laughs> said like, hey, um, hey, you have he wrote to another man, messaged him. Hey, you have a really beautiful smile, like smiley face. And the man responded, um, hey, dude, this is like kind of creepy. Like, why are you messaging me this? This is inappropriate. And he was like, oh, well, did you think it was creepy when you sent it to my sister yesterday on LinkedIn? Like, boom. So yeah, just your daily reminder that that LinkedIn is is for professional purposes and to be a, a male ally by calling other weirdo men out. It's like, it's just that easy. But I just like loved that post so much. It really brought a smile to my face. Yeah. And like, you know what, let's just, you don't have to comment on a woman's smile, whether she's smiling, whether she's not smiling, just let it be because you know what, your unsolicited feedback is probably not wanted. I remember well, when I was, that, let's get into our episode. <laughs> I was just going to say, I remember when I was like literally six or seven, our crossing guard, like at our elementary school, the crossing guard, he was like an old man. And he would always be like, smile girls. It was so ingrained in me at a young age that I had to smile for creepy men. Um, But I'm not doing it anymore. Okay. No, I will smile when I want to smile. And that's the only time I'll smile. If you tell me to smile, I guarantee you're not going to get a smile for me. You're going to get something else. Yeah. I'm going to like bite your finger. (laughs) I'm going to bite your finger. (laughs) Well, I did that because you were just pointing at me, Taylor. <laughs> oh my god, I don't know what's wrong. No, I so creepy. <laughs> I'm gonna bite your finger. Um, wait. To, the, <laughs> to that point, though, other like other inappropriate stories. Oh man, this this could be its own podcast episode. But really? when I was, I I could not have been more than like eleven or twelve years old. Although I was always very tall for my age, so I might have looked older. And I was in, I was at a grocery store, um, 
just looking at, you know, shampoo or something. And this older man, I mean, you know, when you're 10 or 11, people who are 25 look like they're 50 years old. So who knows how old he actually was very significantly older than me. Um, he, he was like, wow, you're beautiful. And I was like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> and that, like, that wasn't, that all made me already made me like a little uncomfortable. Um, but then he proceeded to say, but you know, if, if you got, if you got some nice color, like a nice suntan, like, wow, you'd be gorgeous. <gasps> what? <laughs> what? Did you bite his finger off? No, I bought freaking sunless tanner and it made me orange and streaky. And a boy in my sixth grade class asked me why my face was so dirty. What in the heck? Like, yeah, no, no, thank you. No comments on the appearance, guys or gals, Mm-mm. unless it's to say Mm-mm. you look amazing. Just generic. You look yeah. amazing today. You look great. Yeah. yeah. Well, Wow. I'm glad we brought some of our, some of our, uh, some just fun examples from the past. I'm sure there are so many more where that came from, but, um, that has nothing to do with this episode. Lupe has nothing to do with that stuff, but, um, but yeah, yeah. I'm still laughing at bite, bite your finger off. I would love to see you. <laughs> well, enjoy the episode y'all. All right. Bye. Bye. For the past seven plus years, Lupe has single-handedly built out world-class customer experience teams from the ground up. Currently the VP of member experience at Headspace, Lupe continues to explore and invest in new and emerging technologies to best serve our members, all while being an exemplary example of a compassionate and conscious leader. Welcome Lupe, we're so happy to have you here today. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, Taylor. So happy to be here. So let's just go for it and dive yeah. right in. Yeah. Um, can you start by just telling us uh, how you've gotten to where you are today? Yeah. So I always joke that I look young, but I've actually been in tech for the last 20 years. I started when I was about 20, 21. Um, I started working at my first startup. I think it was in 2000. Um, it, it's it, it was an outsourced customer support startup. And this was during like the tail end of the dot-com boom when everyone had a website and everyone's starting to get more comfortable with buying things online and, and managing their lives a little bit online and things of that sort. So I was working for this little startup in, in, um, in Westwood Village that did outsourced customer support. And we were providing customer support for companies like stamps.com for like pro flowers and things of that sort. I was there a very short time. It was about seven or eight months. I didn't last very long. It was it was the um, the epitome of what you imagine a very kind of frat boy, broy kind of environment is. And so it was not my thing. So within seven to eight months, I moved on and 
um, started working at my next startup. I don't remember how I happened upon it, but I was, despite not having a good experience at my first startup, I was excited to move on to the next startup because I, I was just attracted to the, to the environment of like being creative and being solutions oriented and moving quickly. I never imagined myself working in like a boring office or anything like that. So I just loved the challenge of these rapidly growing companies. And I always wanted to just challenge myself in that way. I moved on to my next startup and it was a, a personal finance company. And this was like in 2001. And it was a company that would help you find lower phone services, lower insurance rates, things of that sort. So it was fun in the sense of people are just starting to manage their lives and their finances online. This seems disruptive. This seems great. Like people being able to do this stuff online on the internet, it seems more convenient. I would love to be a part of this. So I was there for three years and I was one of two people on the customer care team, which is insane. I, I don't even know how we did that, but I was able to learn how to kind of run a business unit. Um, and so that kind of took me on to my next opportunity, which was eHarmony. I learned so much in my three years at that personal finance company that when I came to eHarmony, I thought, oh my gosh, I know how to do this. I know how to be more efficient. Why aren't you guys doing this? Why aren't you guys training here? What if you guys did this? I had I was probably really obnoxious, but I came in with a lot of ideas. And that allowed me to move up pretty quickly. I think I was there a few months and I I had been promoted into a role to help out with training and quality assurance and things of that sort. And so I started working with the team. At that time, eHarmony's only competitor, I think, was Match.com. Eventually it was OkCupid and everyone that started kind of to come out. But at that time, it felt really great. Um, this this is fun. This is revolutionary. It was also at the time of like the, the dot-com bubble bursting where it was no longer exciting, but finding the love of your life online was gaining traction, meeting people online and all of that stuff. So I thought, okay, this feels stable. This feels like they have a great mission. They seem legit. This is where I kind of want to grow. So I was there for about seven years and I learned so much there. I ended up leaving there as a senior manager of training and quality assurance. And it was a really great experience. Um, and then I went to Doc Vacay, which was a little startup in Silicon Beach um, back in 2012. And I started there as a director of customer experience. And I basically helped them build out um, the team. When I started with Doc Vacay, I think it was like 12 of us. And we were sitting in this little tech incubator with other small companies like Dollar Shave Club and all of that. Like it was, it was crazy. I think there was one toilet for like 75 people, which was insane. And so that, that was fun to be able to join them so early on and help them build something out. Um, I was there for two years. And by the time I left, we had built out these amazing like um, experiences with respect to like delighting members and having proper processes in place with respect to like um, community guidelines. And my team was working as efficiently as possible. And, and so that was really amazing to accomplish from almost nothing. Um, I left after about two years because I was tired. I hadn't, I hadn't slept in like two years. I was just done. I left without a job, which I'd never done before. And I was scared out of my mind when I did, I did that, but I just needed a break. And three months later, I got the call from Headspace, um, the recruiter that was working with Headspace, to find a head of customer support. It was someone I knew, part of my network. I had worked with him before um, to hire people for my teams. So I knew him. He knew me. He knew how I worked, what sort of leader I was. And 
six years later, I'm at Headspace. Um, the the journey at Headspace, I could probably talk about it for five hours, but that's how I ended up at Headspace. That was six years ago. Started with Headspace where they were drowning in tickets and tickets of volume. Um, and now we're this really, um, I don't want to brag, but well-functioning, well-oiled machine, really successful and passionate team. And I'm very proud of that six years later. I know you have so much to teach us um, <laughs> all this experience. I mean, I think it's so valuable to go through all of those different types of companies, mm-hmm. early stage, more established. Definitely. Um, and it sounds like you were able to really adapt. And I mean, unfortunately, at the beginning of your career, you were kind of like forced to leave because the culture was not right. And this yes. is a story. That, unfortunately, we hear from almost everyone we talk to, like that at some point there was a job they had to leave. That's pretty um, gross. Yeah. Because of that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad that I'm glad, obviously, that you're at Headspace. And um, and you're right. We have like a world-class, like amazing, high caliber customer service team. Um, and our members are so much uh, you know, better taken care of because of it. Um, what are some things that that you think has made your team successful, your teams in the past or your team at Headspace? Um, what are some things that you've kind of learned along the way? That that's a that's a great one. I'm also not one to like brag, so it's this is a really tough one for me. But I'll brag for my team. Please I'll do. Talk, yeah, <laughs> I'll talk about the the team at Headspace. Um, I've always brought them along the journey is the thing. So if I'm building something out, I'm bringing them along with me um, because I don't I don't pretend to know everything. Sure, I have experience, and sure, I have um, some good instincts, um, and and again, some experience to apply to any sort of strategic decisions, any direction that we need to go in, how we need to um, evolve with our members and their needs and with the company. So I I have that right, but I need I need to have like the the meaty insights, the pain points, what the 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 folks on the floor are experiencing, what their own experiences are while they're in the weeds. Um, here's what I sense and here's what I see from the members, but, but give me the qualitative insights. What do you see? So I've always brought them along for the ride. So if we're launching big initiatives, if we're making a change in the team, if we're pivoting strategy as, as a team, they're part of that process um, in one way or the other, as opposed to me telling them what to do and just communicating what's going to happen. So I, th- I think that allows them to feel as though they're um, contributing so if, if, if we succeed, they, they succeeded as well. So, and it's also great for, for delegations and development and, and things of that sort. It's just great development for them to learn that, um, the, you know, the, the wins and also the, the opportunities to improve and be better. So that's always been my approach. Um, and, and it's knock on wood, it's worked out really well at Headspace. I think that's also really reflected in how um, a lot of your team members talk about you as a leader. Um, the only thing I don't work directly with you, but anytime I've heard anyone talk about you, it's like Lupe, like I'll have a, you know, we have those donut meetings where a Slack mm-hmm. bot will, will match you with someone. And I talked to, I think, I think it was Michelle. Um, and she was like, she was like, Lupe is just oh my like, gosh, so sweet. Yeah. Just like, it's like, like almost you're like a mother figure. It's like, you like take care of your team. Like I'm probably old enough to be her mom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
but you like oh lead gosh. with such compassion and empathy. And, um, and I think as women, like we often, especially women, women leaders, we often like shy away from some of those traits because we feel like we have to act like these yeah. big, bad, powerful men to be listened to. Um, and you even talking to you right now, I'm sure our listeners can hear, like, you are just so like calm and stable, but like powerful, like you just like, have mm-hmm. you like, you know, you're going to get it done and get it taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I even know. Like I'm turning red right now. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like a fraud right now. It's oh so my gosh. Ridiculous. Stop it. Yeah. No, <laughs> no. I just want to hear about like, yeah. Like what your approach is. I, I even like in your introduction, I, I kind of looked on your LinkedIn and you had like tons of like LinkedIn testimonials from your, oh, from yeah, your team. So nice. And they're just like, you know, yeah. Exemplary example of a compassionate conscious leader mm-hmm. and like, and, and feeling psychological safety. And like, those are such important things for a manager. So I guess my question is like, how, like, how have you, is this how you've always been? Like, how how have you brought these traits to um, to leading a team, and and like what that's been like? Yeah, um, I think some of it has to do with early on in my career, I had those allies and those advocates. So, I mean, you know, when I started at my first two or three startups, um, um, they were male heavy teams and male heavy companies. It was women were the minority. Um, I apologize. I feel like my doorbell is ringing right now. Um, so, so women were the minority there. In addition to that, um, I'm Latina. So I was also the minority there, um, with respect to, you know, how everyone looked and, 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 and the makeup of the company and the teams. So, I always felt a little out of place, no matter how kind and 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 sweet people were, um, and how supportive they were. I just, you know, it's just human nature when people don't sound like you or they don't have your same experiences and all of that. It's just something that just kind of stays in your head and you question where why you're even here. So I very much always made a mental note of everyone that was supportive throughout my career and gave me opportunities, even though I didn't have the experience, but they knew that I was willing to kind of get my hands dirty and learn it. And I've, I've always remembered that. And I always put myself in the shoes of everyone who works on my teams. And I try to do that for them as well. Um, I totally know that when people come in, they probably see this as a job at first. And my hope is that they see it as a career within the first couple of months that they're on the team. Um, so, you know, that, that means connecting with people, getting to know people, um, recognizing people, having the vulnerable, uncomfortable conversations and just being okay with being uncomfortable. Um, those sorts of things are really important to me, whether they're in catch-ups or in meetings and things of that sort. Like transparency is, is, is something that I feel like I need in order to know how to support people. So I feel like that stuff comes naturally to me. So it's just some, it's just, it's just the way that I lead. And I think for people, it helps them feel seen and, and, and kind of heard and understood. I think that's so important. And I think it just contributes to, I mean, when people feel that sense of psychological safety, I feel like they're just motivated to do, you know, they're more focused at work. There's less sort of these like intrusive buzzing thoughts right. about whether their job is safe 
or what their manager thinks of them. So, you know, just having that level of transparency and also, you know, being sure that you're giving the the good feedback along with the constructive feedback, but framing it in a way that's non-threatening, right. I think is such an important skill. And we talk so much on this um, podcast about how these like soft skills are just as much, if not more important than than the technical ones, because they're things that are just not learned as easily. Like you can't just like pull up documentation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can pull up like blog posts and stuff, but so much of it is like practical application and actually working with people. Um, and I think that's just so phenomenal. And I wish that, I wish that we had more leaders like you just in the world. You know, um, it, it's, it's so funny. Cause I, I was thinking about my career about a month ago, because one of my mentors and previous managers passed away unexpectedly five weeks ago. And I was thinking about my, I feel like I haven't even processed it, to be honest, but he passed away suddenly. And and I felt a lot of guilt over the fact that I hadn't talked to him in a couple of years. So in my brain for like a couple of weeks, I was just reminiscing about the experience with him. And, um, you know, he was a CEO of Dog Vacay and, you know, um, how closely I got to work with him for those two years and how great he was in giving me opportunity. But I, I, I did feel guilt about the moments where he and I kind of butted heads because my, my soft skills were kind of seen as unnecessary, not necessarily as weakness, but, oh, you're putting too much emotion into that decision or um, you, you need, you, you need to think more black and white about that approach or whatever it is, you know, um, because I think as a, as a CEO and founder of the company, he was very passionate about the mission, but he was also thinking of it as a business where I've always been very people focused first, because if, if my people aren't taken care of, then we can't succeed as a business and as a business unit. So, you know, in the end, he was such a great mentor in the, in the, in the sense that he allowed me to kind of challenge it. And in the end, he trusted me and he basically gave me the autonomy to kind of run my own business unit and and, and he trusted me to lead. But those challenging conversations where I kind of had to prove why I was taking a certain approach. Um, I sometimes worried if he saw that as because I was a female leader. I was his only female leader at the time. All of his other direct reports are men. Um, so it was something that maybe he didn't intend to come across that way. But I Early on, early on in my leadership career, I did feel like I was kind of trying to defend why I was that sort of leader, which is kind of weird. But I think in hindsight now, when I look back on it, it was him trying to understand me as a leader. Yeah, we talk a lot about emotions at work and like, it's just so annoying that, yeah, I think it's it's not men's like first intention to lead with emotions. And so when you see it, they are not as familiar and they just label it as bad. It's kind of like scary territory. And they think that like, it's not mutually exclusive just because you have emotions about something doesn't mean you can't make a decision. I don't know where that came from. It's (laughs) true. It just means you care more. Yeah. It it means you're going to work that much harder and like think about it more. And you're like going to sleep thinking about, you know, it's like almost better. I, I don't know. It's so wild that we have to like always, I always feel like I have to filter my emotions and like, and then it leads to me like over indexing and just being like, blah, mm-hmm. I don't care. I'm burned out. I don't give a shit. You know, like <laughs> if you can't, if you can't like actually express yourself yeah, and you're like punished for it. So yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you like help your direct reports kind of 
manage emotions at work or like if, if situations come up, what are some things that you, that you recommend for having, having to deal in quotes, deal with your emotions at work? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I have a good answer for this, but the advice that I, that I give, you know, my, my team, for example, each of them are a liaison to another team at Headspace. So my folks are integrated into, um, you know, the product teams, they're liaisons for like marketing brand communications, legal security. So they're kind of popped into the the teams across Headspace and their experiences for the most part are positive because they get to have a voice and advocate for members. But in those instances where conversations are challenging and they don't feel heard or they don't feel like they're really being listened to with respect to how they're advocating for members or they feel like they're being placated or whatnot. Um, I, I try to just let them unload on me and, and just, just be candid. Don't sugarcoat. Just tell me what you're feeling. You're not snitching. You're not complaining. Just tell me. Um, and then my solution to them most of the time, like nine out of 10 times are let's follow up and let's give the facts. Don't, don't necessarily lead with your feelings because then they're, they might turn off because they think they might think you're just being emotional about this decision. Everyone reacts very positively to data. So you have the data, lead with that, go back and prove why you're fighting for that. Go back and prove why this is a huge issue that people aren't paying attention to. So facts before um, emotions and feelings is the, is the advice that I always give. Does it always work out as a foolproof? No, but it's, it's, you're more likely to have people listen when you have those facts and then maybe you can share the feeling behind it. That's so interesting. That's literally something that, or something similar that I've worked on an exercise I've worked on with a therapist before, which she referred to is, you know, having, if you have an intrusive thought and you're sort of like stuck in that loop, put, she literally said, put that thought on trial Mm. and come up with, all of the fact-based evidence that you have to support it and, and to negate it. Um, and, you know, see, basically see what you find in my case, there wasn't really anything that I had solid proof of Mm -hmm. without some sort of like additional baggage or context that I had added just from my brain and, and looking at just, you know, the list of, actual evidence versus just sort of like what I had concocted on my own um, yeah. was super enlightening. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely guilty of that. You, you kind of get stuck in this. No, I have to fight for this. I have to do this. And you get stuck more in the emotion and the principle of it rather than kind of, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of the person that you're, you know, having this conversation with it, that you're trying to prove something to. Um, People just want facts. And especially in our world, the data is very necessary in order to, to be heard. Yeah. But I think it's so important that like your, um, your direct reports can come to you and unload that emotional. Cause it's like, I, I feel like sometimes people are like, oh, like you're complaining or this is, it's <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I think that's the manager's job. Like you should be, you know, it's, like at a certain extent, if someone's always complaining and like actually getting nothing done, then yeah, let's, let's work it's on that. Yeah. But if it's someone that's a high performer and has like legitimate concerns, you want them coming to you because if they can't, they're going to leave the company. Like you, you want to hear those things and help them work through them. And so if you maintain a safe space for them to unload those motions, then 
they can like take a beat and won't be unloading them somewhere that's less appropriate too. So I think that's just a great, it's, it's so great that, that they feel safe to come to you for that. Yeah. One last thing I'll say is I a hundred percent feel that everyone's feelings are valid, whether I think they're factual or not. (laughs) So I, I, they're all valid a hundred percent of them. So you know, if I feel like someone is missing some information that is leading them to that conclusion, that is a valid feeling for them. I try to help them unpack that a bit. Well, well, why is that? And give me an example and let's kind of talk about that. And I hope that helps. I hope people don't feel like I'm being nosy um, or, or, or trying to debate them, which I, I definitely don't think I come across that way, but um you're also not doing any sort of, um, you're not benefiting anyone and being their guide or mentor if you're just letting them complain and you're not also offering them guidance and helping them kind of, you know, determine the root cause as to why they feel that way. Totally. Yeah. So this, you know, with all, with people coming to you and you helping them unpack these emotions and then on top of that, being the leader of the member experience team, which is already, I've been on member experience teams before. And I know firsthand Mm -hmm. that's a very, can be a very high stress job. I'm wondering how, how have you learned to cope when you have a really difficult day and when you're feeling burnt out and you don't know if you can wake up and do it all over again? And how do you help people on your team sort of overcome those feelings as well? Yeah, that's a toughie. I think um, I, I'm constantly guilty of trying to have this very calm, strong demeanor. Um, I, I try not to be very emotional. Um, I, I, I am vulnerable all the time, I feel like. I, I feel like people know what they get with me. I've, I have no problem being vulnerable and being real with people. but. Um, you know, showing any sort of emotion like anger or frustration or things of that sort, I try to shy away from. I have no problem showing people I'm annoyed. So that's a different story. But um, I I do that because I have gotten feedback in the past that that has um, made people feel less confident that I can handle a situation if I show emotion. That was early on in my career. So that kind of stuck with me like, oh my gosh, I, I, I'm a human being and I, I must have appeared angry in that moment when that thing happened and people were looking at me and and they viewed that as me being weak. I can't do that again. And so I'm not saying that that's okay, but that's always stuck with me where I feel like I need to have this very, I need to exude strength so that people feel confident that we're kind of headed in the right direction. Um, That's something that I, I don't think that that's super healthy, um, most of the time, but it's something that still sticks with me and I feel like I have to do. So a long answer to your question. I just try to be real with people and vulnerable if they're challenged. Oh my gosh, I can totally see how that's the thing. I experienced that too. Let me help you with that. Um, letting people know that, that you've been on in the, in, on that same boat, um, that it's totally okay. If they feel overwhelmed, that it's totally okay if they feel like they have no idea what they're doing. Um, it's okay if they feel lost all of a sudden when they initially maybe thought they knew what they were doing. Um, having that 
honest, raw, vulnerable type of dynamic, I think is super important so that people can learn and continue to grow from there. I don't do it perfectly. I mean, I'm a human being, but I try my very best to be as supportive as possible in a real way. And I like that distinction between vulnerable and emotional. Yeah. Emotional is more reactive um, and seen as a weakness. Vulnerability more so now is is being seen as a strength and it's courageous Mm -hmm. to be vulnerable. And that's how you build bonds with people. And and I like that distinction because I think up until now, I kind of think like, oh, I'm just being me. Like I'm like emotional. I'm, you know, it's, I like tied them together, but I think you're right. I think you're right that like you can be vulnerable without being emotional and maybe it, yeah. and maybe that if you take the emotional component out, maybe that also gets your point across. Like if you actually are frustrated, you can be like the vulnerable places is, is explaining how you feel but not like, but it's like the tone that's affected by the emotion. Maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just making that distinction right now as you're talking. No, it's true. I think, you know, the downside that I've experienced this from time to time is that sometimes when people want to be emotional because they've had it and yeah. they're like at a boiling point, they probably feel uncomfortable being that emotional in front of me. Um, and, and, and so I, I feel like I'm emotionally intelligent enough to kind of sense that. And so I might, try to give them the permission to just express whatever they want to express. But, but I know that I know that people might fear or, or be intimidated by never kind of seeing me in that place. Speaking of being vulnerable um, before we got on this, before we started recording, you were saying that, that um, even being on this podcast was, was bringing up feelings of, of imposter syndrome for you. Yeah. So, I mean, like, what the heck? I mean, you're like a VP at Headspace. You're obviously like super talented and successful and so well-respected. I mean, one of the most respected leaders I've ever, I think I've come across um, at, at Headspace that I that I know of. And just in, in terms of how people talk about you that work with you. So mm. like clearly from our perspective, you have nothing to worry about, but we know that these feelings are so like deeply ingrained. So um so yeah, I just want, I want to hear a little bit about how imposter syndrome affects you. You're, you're very kind. Thank you, Taylor. I appreciate that <laughs> so much. And I respect you and Monica so much. It just feels ridiculous to hear that from you. Um, I'm not being kind, by the way. I'm being, <laughs> I'm being truthful. Like, I'm not trying to be nice. <laughs> this is fact-based. I, I, I still have some work to do. Um, don't we all? Don't we all? I know we're, we're all the work in progress. Definitely. Um, I don't know. I've just been vulnerable my entire life. I've always been in kind of this raw place. I've been in survival mode my entire life. Um, had a difficult childhood and I spent the latter part of my childhood in foster care and I've been on my own since I was 17. And so I've just always been in survival mode and I, I don't feel like I've ever had the luxury of putting on a strong facade. Um, I feel like I never had that privilege. So because I've, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, you're so resilient. You've gone through so much. I don't even see it as resilience. It was survival mode. For me, that's two different things. I had to survive because I didn't have other people to depend on. So I've just always, that's just always been my thing. Just if people take me as I am, they they do or they don't. Um, I, I just, I've never felt like I, could exude the strength, like it would, it wouldn't be authentic or something. So, you know, again, that's probably 
not necessarily a great thing, but it has allowed me to feel very okay with being uncomfortable and, and just being vulnerable as a human being. And even after overcoming all of that and going through all of that, you still like, I, yeah, I guess I would, I would think that you would look back and say like, look where I've come. Like, I am so strong. Like I deserve Mm. to be here. No one handed this to me. No one, you know, like I, I did it completely myself. Um, which I can't say, I mean, I feel like I like just had just so many people in my corner and I still feel this way. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just messed up how it, (laughs) I know (laughs) it's so dysfunctional the way that we kind of are so critical and doubtful of ourselves. I definitely don't feel like I've accomplished so much. It isn't until I have conversations with people that I may have grown up with or um, people that I haven't spoken to in a while that I knew a couple of, you know, jobs ago or whatever it is that I realized, oh, wow, I, I, I've, I've gone, I've come far or um, pre COVID when my teens and I would go to like, I don't know, customer experience, like uh, um, seminars with other companies or um, events and things of that sort, nine out of 10 times we were so more advanced than the other teams. And it was a big companies, companies that are very familiar and people use on a daily basis. So that always gave me a lot of pride. Um, But it was, it was us surviving. It was us evolving with our members. It was us keeping up with the company. It never, it, it, it almost never occurs to me that we're so revolutionary, that we're so accomplished and all of that. And that's something that I try to be better about because if I, if I don't recognize those things and I can't recognize my people. So on that note, do you have people or have you had people on your team before who have express feelings of imposter syndrome and you've been able to recognize that and, and sort of coach them through it. Cause I find that it's, it's very common that we can talk each other up mm-hmm. and, you know, hold up the mirror and say like, look at all you've accomplished. How, you know, when we had, uh, Caroline pay on, she, she kept on saying to us, she was like, how dare you think that thought about yourself? <laughs> um, but, but it's very difficult to do that. Yeah. for ourselves. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I've been with my team for the, my current team right now for a couple of years. We've had evolutions of teams since I've been with Headspace for six years. I've been with my current team for a couple of years and they're a very diverse group of people. So I, I notice it more in them versus, you know, previous experience that they probably had at other companies. And um I feel like they don't recognize right off the bat that it's, you know, perhaps imposter syndrome. I, I, when we have catch-ups or, you know, when we have one-on-ones and we talk about projects that they're working on in collaboration with other teams, or maybe a project that they're taking on for the first time that they didn't have any experience with. And not that they're winging it because we try to give as much guidance as possible, but, you know, they might doubt themselves and not, they, they might not be sure that the end result will be what we expect it to be or whatever it is. Um, you can tell in, in, in their body language and the way that they describe things and the way that they're kind of dancing around telling you that they haven't gotten there yet or whatever it is. Um, you can tell that it's because of doubt, because they don't want to come across as though they don't know what they're doing and all of that. So whether they recognize that it's imposter syndrome or not, it's there and it's super heavy and you know that it's weighing on them and stressing them out. So 
I try to boost their confidence at that time and, and just talk about early on in my career when I experienced the same or how even now when I'm doing that one thing, it's still difficult. So just trying to get on the same page with them so that they recognize that it's not just them, that it's totally normal for them to kind of feel challenged with anything that they're um, trying to accomplish. Yeah, I think hearing it from you that you've gone through those same feelings is just speak volumes, speaks volumes. Yeah, I, f- I forget that that a lot of your team is so entry level. It's like so mm-hmm. crucial at those. Yeah. Because, you know, when you have your first job, you're like, I need to prove myself. I need to prove every, mo- <laughs> every moment is like yeah. so high stakes. Not bad of that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that to yourself. Yeah. Oh, no, I know. Yeah. We got to stop thinking we need to like prove ourselves. Like yeah. you are enough. You got hired for a reason. Exactly. And you don't need to prove yourself. You, you want to do a good job. Yes. But like, don't, you know, attack yourself and, and go through these like endless loops of doubt. It's just not productive. And it makes you yeah. do, do a worse job. Cause then you're like, so in your head, you can't do anything. It's like overthinking everything. Yeah. I do yeah. my worst work when I tend to overthink something. It's just, it's just not healthy for you to do that to yourself. You just exhaust your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I have the intention of like thinking about something, sitting down and thinking about it and doing it, like it's not going to happen. It's going to happen when I'm like in the shower, like on a walk, like I'm like, Oh, ding, ding, ding. There it is. I know. It's so <laughs> true. I've, I have post-its. I'm that person who has post-its everywhere. And I, and I have a little stack of post-its, like almost in every room of my place. And anytime that happens to me, I'm like, Oh, I write it down. So I won't forget it. So by the time I get to oh, my monitor, I'm like, 13 post-its and they're all things that I need to think about today. So it's probably, it's probably the most, not the most productive way, but I totally get what you're saying. Hey, you gotta find a system that works for you. I'll like (laughs) jot them down in the notes app on my phone, especially out of my apartment. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's That's smart. Yeah. (laughs) Totally normal. Um, I want to talk about like, okay, so obviously you're, um, you're a woman in power at a very high level at the company. Um, do you have example, we don't have to talk like specifically, but you talked about some, you know, maybe not, not so ally males that you've worked with before. Um, what are some, like, what are some things that you've seen from some men that helped lift you up or lift your team up? that, that you can offer our listeners as like some, some things that, that are, I can't, I can't talk some things that are helpful. Yeah. (laughs) I, one of my closest friends, um, he, he and I basically do the same work and he, he works in tech as well. And so we're, we're obviously friends, but we also kind of bounce ideas off of each other all the time. And I just immediately connected and adored him as soon as he and I started working together at Dog Vacay a few years back because um, he was just such a great people advocate. And even though he reported up to me and, um, you know, technically I'm his boss and he has everything to prove to me, you know, he thinks he has everything to prove to me. Um, I know there were instances where he stood up for me. Um, if, If we... If we had a tough day at work, I might not show up and be my best self the next day at the office. And I might appear short or I might appear tired and not as attentive or whatnot. And I remember this one instance where um, I heard that he had defended me in a meeting. Somebody said something about, oh, well, don't don't even go talk to her about that right now because she's just going to be pissed and she's going to she's going to be hysterical or something like that. I don't, I don't don't remember exactly what someone said, 
um, it was him being in a, in a meeting with other leaders. And um, I heard, he never told me this, but I heard that he said, hey, that's totally unfair. If, 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 she, if you were in her position, you'd probably be in a worse situation with her than her. Um, and, and I, I don't remember the context, but he basically questioned, well, if she was a, a guy, would you be asking that same question? Would you feel that same feeling towards her? Um, when I heard about that, I wasn't pissed about it. I thought Ugh, how obnoxious, I can't believe people just expect me to not have any sort of emotion, um, and not to be human, but I just really appreciated knowing that he stood up for me. Um, and I think about that moment often because I've been called bossy. I've been called yep. assertive. I've been called, you know, me being calm and collected is being cold. You know, um, I mean, I, you cannot win. Like, what the heck are we supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, I know. You're it's, supposed it's, to just smile all the time. Like, never stop smiling. Yeah, if you're it's smiley so and happy, you look stupid. Like, it's just... <laughs> You know, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> but if you're not smiling, then apparently, yeah. you know, it's like open season for anyone to let you know that you're not smiling and Absolutely. suggest that you start. It's so ridiculous and it's so unfair, to be honest. Um, but I think about that moment with him often because I haven't seen a lot of that no. since then. You know, if 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 someone describes a female leader or a female coworker as uses adjectives like that it's so rare for me to see someone kind of defend it um or, or to offer an alternative thought for how somebody might be perceived and I just I just think that's pretty unfair um for for women and for female leaders to be expected to always be motivating and always smiling and always so motherly or comforting or whatever it is. It's just but an unfair expectation. Yeah, yeah. But also strong and tough. And like, right. it's just, it's like men, I don't expect men to be walking around smiling. If, if, a, <laughs> if a man is in a bad mood, it's like, oh, he's, he's busy. He's thinking, you know, like he's totally leave him alone. Yeah. He's big. Bu- he's got stuff on his mind. Absolutely. <laughs> he's an important person. Leave him alone. Yeah. What do you expect him to be yeah. mixing with the plebeians down here like come on oh my gosh yeah so that would be the one piece of advice I would offer people I'm sure they hear it and maybe not at work but like their sister their partner their mom and you know I I just think that that's one simple way in which you can be an ally um it's just so simple because I'm sure it stands out to people when they hear it I saw something really funny on LinkedIn earlier today. I'm just like on LinkedIn all day now because it's just like <laughs> so part of this podcast, but not really. I'm still doing my job. We're trying to get a viral post, Lupe. That's like yes. our, that's but that's where we're at right now. We talk about it every week. We want week. so badly to have a viral post on LinkedIn. The engagement on LinkedIn is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Hey, we, I talked about it last week, but I had a post last week. It now has like over 16,000 views. Like that's- it's really People are really, uh, really awesome. It. Congratulations. That's <laughs> Thank you. So like, good. It's so funny to talk about, but, um, <laughs> it was actually surprising because uh, we'll talk about this for one second, but the thing that I posted wasn't that crazy. It was about how we had our first troll. It wasn't like, Oh, right. It wasn't like a, a groundbreaking. Like I didn't think wh- when I was posting it, I was like, this is a good post. Like, I think this is funny, but I wasn't like, yeah, like this one is going to really provoke some. <laughs> 
some, something. It's just kind of like, I don't know. And I, I feel like people aren't really used to seeing women talk about like how messed up misogyny is in tech, especially like, yeah. I think we're just like quiet doing our jobs, whatever. Um, especially on a professional platform like LinkedIn, where your employer can see it right. or like whatever. And so I don't know, maybe it's not the smartest of me, but like, I'm over it at this point. It's already out. No, I, I <laughs> no, it's just because it's so real. It's like true. People experience that all the time. And, and more often than not, people are probably quiet and observe. Yeah. I feel like it's only been like, I feel like in the last couple of years where we've kind of been given the permission to validate our feelings totally about all the stuff that we've yeah. been feeling for years. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to find, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to find this post, but it was something like, it was something like a man, a man posted it and he wrote, yeah. he wrote, I, I messaged, um, another male, like you have a great smile, smiley face. And the man, <laughs> the man responded and the man responded, like, Hey man, this is kind of weird. Like, why are you sending me this? It seems kind of inappropriate. And the man goes, Oh, well, did you think it was inappropriate when you sent that to my sister yesterday on LinkedIn? Uh, boom. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. My. <laughs> yeah. Oh my exactly. God. Well, I mean, the LinkedIn fl- flirtation is another level, but, um, it's so that's a great example of like, just, just be Absolutely. there, just be there as a mirror to reflect back to, cause you, you are the one that other men is, are going to listen to, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely agree. Um, one other thing that I was thinking about a couple months back is, you know, um, Headspace does a good job of having like events and forums and things that sort for people to speak. And, you know, we have those for women as well and everyone's invited. But for me, I hardly ever see more than a handful of men join those sessions. So I, I think it's really important for maybe it, you don't think it applies to you. Maybe you think people will think that you don't belong there. No, none of that is true. Like if anything, even if you're just sitting there watching and listening, it's educational. It's, it's insightful. I, I would encourage men to show up to those events when they're invited. Yeah. Even the men that have interacted with us about this podcast or express interest, mm. like that's so great. We're not, yeah. they're not our target audience really. I mean, for a couple episodes, yes. Um, if they, you know, are willing to hear it, hear what we have to say, but, um, but yeah, like it, it just, it goes such a, it goes such a long way because it's not really the default. You're so right. I think a lot of people think, Oh, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll let, I'll let them figure it out in that, in that meeting. But if, if we're all doing something in a silo, like it's never going to permeate the whole organization and change the way things are done. Totally. And that just leads to a bigger problem where you think it's not your issue. Mm-hmm. it's everyone's issue. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I just think people need to be a bit more open-minded about that and a bit braver about just showing up. You're advocating, you're supporting, you're being an ally. Well, when you're benefiting from the yeah, system, think- you have no incentive, like mm-hmm. they're benefiting from it. They don't have these problems and yeah. it takes like a lot of courage and like, I don't know, depth and, um, I don't know what word I'm looking for to like, want to be invested in these issues and and care about them. Passion. Yeah. 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 I think also just like, you know, showing up, especially now that they're all virtual, just, mm-hmm. you know, seeing that little box on the screen, even if you are silent the entire time, yeah. like no one's asking you to lead the meeting. You can just be, you know, be an observer and there's, 
that's such a, a first step. And I think absolutely feels, you know, people see so much like support from that. Like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. they actually took an hour, took half an hour to at least just, it's, it says so much by doing absolutely nothing. It just says, you know, like I acknowledge this is something that I can work and improve mm-hmm. on and that we all can. Yeah. And especially if you, if you manage people and you're managing women show up to learn because there's no way, you know, everything with respect to this topic and helping people feel um, a part of something and just come in and learn. Even if you think, you know, what the topic and the conversation is going to be about. Yeah. And like we were saying it, society has, what's acceptable to talk about has evolved. And like, if you've been a manager for 20 years, maybe what was the norm at the beginning of your career is not really the norm now. Like mm-hmm. you look at these like Gen Z people on TikTok, they're like, po- they're like just explaining all their deepest, darkest traumas and, and calling people out. It's just like, it's just such a different world than what we really grew up with. And yeah. if you don't, if you don't show up to learn and like evolve um, and you think, you know, every, like you, you have to evolve with your, with your people, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And just like, I feel like owning up to, I don't want to say that I like it (laughs) when other people mess up, but I will say that (laughs) it makes me feel just like so much less alone and anxious about the many, many times that I have (laughs) made a mistake as well. And you know, like we're, we're not robots and mm-hmm. there's always going to be room for error. I mean, Lupe, you know, firsthand, cause your team deals with the errors that Taylor and my team make on a daily basis. <laughs> um, so just like, you know, being honest with yourself and celebrating sort of like both the highs and the lows, I think mm-hmm. just, it, it plays into that same level of like psychological safety that we talked in at the beginning, like people can really relate to other people and feel so much more safe and secure if they feel like, you know, like, oh, everyone makes a mistake and it's okay if I make a mistake and my team is here to support me. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's something that we all as leaders and everyone just kind of needs to be better about. I know we move so quickly sometimes that it's hard to kind of, you know, sit back and kind of sit on the learnings and, and all of that because we just want, we're so uncomfortable with it. And we just want to move forward and succeed with the next thing. Um, there's so much benefit from, from learning from, from the mistakes, not just so that you minimize those same mistakes going forward, but so that you can apply the things that didn't work towards the next thing and, 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 and kind of, you know, maximize a bit more success with your, with your next approach. But I'm guilty of that. We move so quickly. Sometimes we just don't sit enough with the learnings and the mistakes and it's super critical to do that. Um, It allows people to also be again, a bit more comfortable with the discomfort. I've never met anyone that was super comfy with discomfort. You probably have to be, um, robot a robot yeah I was going to say something worse but yeah you probably <laughs> have to be a robot to to feel that way but I, I think um I think it's super important to to feel um okay with the discomfort because then you're better at receiving constructive feedback 
Um, you're better at receiving um, what you might consider to be criticism. Um, and you can develop a thicker skin because a lot of the time it has nothing to do with you. It's just the experience and what people see um, or experience as a result of whatever mistakes. So, um, you know, I, again, I, I just think it's, it's super important to talk about that stuff too, not just the wins. Yeah. And like the more comfortable you are making mistakes and the less attention and energy you give toward mm -hmm. them, the next time it ha it's not like this catastrophic thing that derails your whole day. It's like, oh, yep, you're right. Okay. Let me fix this. I, I remember when I was really early in my career, I would like, if people told, would try to tell me I made a mistake, I'd be like, no, well that there was this. And, and, um, I actually, it wasn't me. Um, right. actually, you know, like I would do everything possible to like get the blame off of myself. And then I, um, someone at headspace that I work with, it will just be all, I'll say like, is this not working? And he'll be like, oh yeah, totally my bad. And it's just like, wow, you just like own it and move just on. Owned it. Not yeah. even a problem. And he's like, you know, the most experienced best person on our team, of course. And maybe that's where it comes. Maybe that's why he's so easily able to swallow it. But like, if you, yeah, if you don't make it a big deal and it's not, you know, and you, you clearly are going to rectify it. Um, just like takes the power. It's kind of like imposter syndrome. Like it just takes the power away from it. When it happens, it's less, mm -hmm. it's less catastrophic. I, yeah. do you guys remember we had like a fail whale or something where we would like try to pass it around. Someone started this. I think it, it was years mm -hmm. ago, but like it was at all hands and someone would like be like, I failed this week. I did this. And like, now I pass the I fail whale to someone else. It yeah, really like, catch, can we still we do that? Totally do that. It we would should. be so nice to bring back the whale like that. <laughs> maybe it wasn't, maybe I'm making up fail whale. Maybe it was a different kind of trophy, but I, I think it was, it was, but it was something having to do with fail. And we Wait, like, but fail whale is great. Like, let's, I know. Yeah. I know. Start that. Is, yeah. Um, so maybe we should start that because it just, it, I, for some reason it didn't catch on. I think it was cause it was too big. Like it needs to be done on smaller, smaller scale for teams. But, um, but I like that. I, I love that idea. I love it. I, I, I mean, it would probably be a little uncomfortable for people, but <laughs> I mean, uh, so many people could probably relate and it would help mm -hmm. people realize that they're not alone in that, in that journey and that mistake. Yeah. Well, Monica, you, your manager did something like this recently. Yeah. Yeah. We had a meeting, um, last week that was all of my managers direct reports and, it was just sort of uh, just a quick sort of 30 minute sync. And I think we're going to start doing them maybe on a more regular cadence. And there will always be an opener slash like icebreaker. And the one that we started with last week was pick out a time in the past two quarters where you feel like you've made a mistake. You feel like you've goofed and, and what have you learned from it? And you know, obviously like, I love that stuff. The whole podcast about that. Are you kidding me? Like I can take up a whole 30 minutes. Um, but what was really nice is that I, I could tell that all of the other people in the meeting appreciated it too. And it wasn't, it wasn't like I was the only other person talking, you know, like we went mm -hmm. the whole 30 minutes and even after everyone had had said their piece. We're all like rolling our eyes and like, Oh, documentation is so hard. Why is it so hard to read documentation? So it's not, it's not just me. Maybe I'm the only, maybe Taylor and I are just more vocal about, you know, the fact that we really don't like reading and writing documentation, <laughs> um, but we will do it and we'll do it well. Uh, but 
it was, it was just nice to, and these, you know, there were, it was all levels, um, I think of, of the engineering team were represented. So, you know, you see that you don't necessarily like outgrow your struggles ever permanently. You just, they change. And as you take on more challenging problems, uh, you have more challenging mistakes that you more make, problems. I guess. Yeah. More problems to yeah. deal with. Oh, I love that so much. Mm-hmm. And I'd steal that idea. That's really great. Do it. Do it. Yeah. I hope that all the managers steal it. I think that it was like, and it was just like you said, it was in a small group setting. Um, but it wasn't, but it was also not people that I work with mm-hmm. every day. So it wasn't necessarily a group, you know, like my immediate squad who I'm used to kind of like talking with every day. Um, right. so it was, it was really nice and refreshing to see like how open people were. And, um, and at the end I was like, this is great. This is like therapy. Let's do it every Makes day. You, feel better too. <laughs> you walk away. You feel like yes. kind of energized. Yeah. It's like, Oh yeah. It's like, you get a, you get a weight off because mm-hmm. obviously, you know, nobody said their mistake. And my manager was like, all right, well, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> Um, would you each consider yourselves a perfectionist? I used to be, I'm a reformed perfectionist. Oh, when I got to call it like all throughout high school, I was like, do this, 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 straight Mm -hmm. straight A's. And then when I got to college, I was just like, oh my God, everyone here is so much smarter than me. Like I'm never going to be the (laughs) smartest. Like it was kind of just more of like defeat because like, I just realized that it was, it was going to be counterproductive. Like if I was, because my perfectionism was in comparing myself to others and being mm-hmm. the best. I was mm-hmm. like, there's no, there's absolutely no way. So, um, not that I was even the best in my high school, but I, I guess I was maybe within, <laughs> within reach, whatever that means in quotes. Um, but yeah, I, I really used to be that way. And especially in engineering, it's like you learn through mistakes and bugs yeah. and like actually having a, having a bug or like mm-hmm. something in the code that you can break and, and point to is, is the fastest way to fix it. You know, if like, if you don't know where it is, then it's, then you're kind of lost. Um, yeah. so I think that really helps, helped me, um, like shake the perfectionism as well. Yeah. I was just yeah. asking because I think that's the biggest problem. Sometimes we're, we're, we're too much of a perfectionist and that's definitely a detriment. Yeah. You, you too, Monica. Yeah. I, um, I see it show up a lot of times where I just feel like I get, I can get overwhelmed very easily where I see where I am now and I see where I want to be. And that could apply Mm -hmm. to um, a problem I'm trying to solve at work, or it could apply to like, um, you know, the texture of my hair. Uh, (laughs) And and it just seems like, you know, very, uh, I just don't, you know, it's like, I don't know where to start breaking down this problem. I don't mm-hmm. know where to start. Like, do I need to do one of those like customized shampoo things? How much <laughs> money is that going to be? I'm going to probably wind up going through like five of them. Don't um, do it. I did oh it. And it was crap. My hair came out like straw. See, I know. Yeah. That's what, that's what you said. So like, um, that's hilarious, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I see it, I see it come out. Um, in, in different like aspects in my life. Like I struggle, I, I just like also struggle with anxiety a lot. And so mm. I noticed that in periods of my life, when my anxiety is really high is also like those sort of like 
perfectionist um, tendencies start to like pull me more and make Mm -hmm. me feel a little bit more sort of like manic. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that we need to step out of that. I think the, the younger generations are definitely better at being more raw and, and, and real, um, and just honest. And I think that's something that I appreciate about the younger kids today. Um, because I definitely grew up in a, in an environment in a world where I had to be perfect or I felt like I had to be perfect. So. Yeah. And the only examples you yeah. see of successful people are seemingly perfect whenever they do interviews, it's professional right. and they look a certain way and they talk a certain way and totally. And it's just like, you cannot relate and you're like, okay, shoot, I have to do this and this and this to ever even become that. And it just seems so out of reach. Absolutely. Yeah. It's impossible. Well, I, yeah. And also like, if we look at the, um, if the female leaders who have not succeeded for uh whatever reason like they get torn apart absolutely um and I'm not here to like you know defend Elizabeth Holmes or Theranos or anything but you know like that it it does make me sad reflecting on it but that was really like you know one of the first um real like women tech leaders that we had and to see that, you know, disintegrate and then turn into a couple documentaries, a series, a book, a podcast. And it's, and now it's just, um, you know, a household name and not a good one. And, and it's become sort of like the archetypal, um, failure of a woman in, Mm -hmm. in tech. So that also, I think adds, so much to the pressure. It's like, there's nothing in between. Yeah. We're, we're judged 10 times worse than any man mm-hmm. in that position. And I'm pretty sure there are a bunch of male Elizabeth Holden's out there uh, and they, of course. they yeah. do oh not my God. get that sort of scrutiny for sure. I actually, no, they're yeah. just like, Oh, he, he made a, he made a mistake. He made a mistake. Yeah. He might go to jail. <laughs> He's a risk taker. Yes. Oh Outside God. of the box thinker. I so love, creative. I love that Elizabeth Holmes just swindled the hell out of these old ass white men who found her attractive <laughs> and were creeps and gave her all of their money. Like yeah. good job, Elizabeth. Like, you know, whatever she was doing some messed up stuff with like people's blood and like health, but, <laughs> but like, it's not her fault that she took advantage of the patriarchy to her advantage to get funded. Like, okay. It's, it's probably what she learned. It's it's what was around her and she kind of learned it. And she thought that was a way probably. She learned yeah. to be manipulative. And I uh, guess who she learned that from? Like yeah. tons of male leaders. So Absolutely. whatever. <laughs> Justice for Elizabeth Holmes. Just kidding. Not really. I know. <laughs> a little sympathy maybe. I don't know. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. But, but I agree. I mean, female leaders are definitely judged a ton worse than men. Absolutely. And that that's a fact. That's not even an opinion. It's a fact. And it also is so internalized that even I know myself that I judge female leaders differently and I have to be like, Oh wait, okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I, why would I ever say that about it? Just literally thoughts that come into my head and I'm like, Oh, okay. No, like that's, that's definitely coming from somewhere else. That's not about like, I don't actually know what this person is doing. So it really, it's within all of us. And like, everyone has to just 
everyone has to just like realize it. Um, I have the opposite feeling and and maybe this is something everyone can relate to, but when it comes to men, I just don't have high expectations <laughs> when it comes to male leaders. So that's, yes. that's worse too. That that's also, you know, terrible judgment on male leaders. I don't expect them to ever be like a female leader. I don't expect them to be as sympathetic and, and as, as attentive and um, as comfortable with vulnerability and all of that. And that's super unfair. And that's something that I need to be better about, but yeah, I have the opposite effect. I'm like, I don't, I don't have very high expectations for male leaders. Terrible. So funny. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's, that's how we all kind of need to work on ourselves and, and learn and, and be allies for everyone in the workplace and, yeah. and lead by example. Yeah. And just the awareness. Like, I think that's where so many like microaggressions come from, or just mm-hmm. not being aware, or not even thinking there could be a separate point of view, um, you know, in talking about standing up for your coworkers or like a, a certain mm-hmm. situation happens. And then you're, you're like, someone is getting labeled. Like, why is that happening? Like what, like people need to be doing this kind of reflection. And I don't mm-hmm. think they are if they're, if they're benefiting from the system and it's not like, you know, it doesn't affect them. It it's not their problem. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it does like what, what they should know is it does affect them when, if women on your team cannot fully uh-huh. uh, like be comfortable, be themselves and operate, um, they're going to leave They're Like, and I, I think it just sucks that we have to like convince people that having diverse teams, mm-hmm. um, benefits them. <laughs> like it just, it's so, and it's so hard to explain. Um, it's like, it just sucks that it's on us to, to prove that. And, and we have to prove it by like being amazing. Yeah. Like uh, we have to be on a different level. We have uh, going above and beyond is, has to be our normal in order for us to be seen. Yeah. It's exhausting. Um, It's exhausting. And that leads, and it leads to burnout. So I just, I feel like Mm -hmm. that just, that can't be the right path. It leads to burnout and then we're emotional and we snap and then we're labeled as like psycho hysterical. hysterical ladies, you know? It's just like such, like, it's like the system putting us down and, and we have to be like twice as good. Twice no as, situation. Yeah. Twice as calm. Let everything roll off our back. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really no win situation, but you know what, with leaders like you Lupe, we will, we will achieve a better tomorrow <laughs> circling it back to you. Um, and how amazing you are. And I mean, truly, truly like having a leader you can go to with things like this and who lifts you up and like talks it through with you. and doesn't say like, don't come to me with problems. Just come to me with solutions. Like how ridiculous would I be if I said that? There's that toxic positivity (laughs) coming to your head again. Gosh, I think we went a little bit over time to, to keep you, but thank you so much for for chatting with us and oh, thank you being your amazing and and vulnerable self yeah no, thank you I mean it's it's so nice to be able to talk to you to both of you I really admire you both um I, I just I'm in awe of, of everything that each of you has been able to accomplish at Headspace um at, at, at a company at our stage it hasn't always been easy but so rewarding and we just have so many amazing, lovely people working at Headspace and really trying to run together towards this mission. And, and both of you are, are, are people that I see and look at so fondly and admire so much. So I'm just honored to be able to have this conversation with you both. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that.
Thank you so much, Lupe. The admiration is so mutual. So Mm -hmm. mutual. I mean, there's just the vulnerability and like the rawness and openness. Um, It's really, really, these are qualities that I hope to have when I am one day a manager. Like that is something I will totally be modeling and and stealing from you. You will. Your awareness (laughs) is step one. Well, thank thank you. you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good Bye. night. You too. Bye. Bye.